It's like throwing a baseball in outer space. That ball will go forever. It's not going to stop. And so uh, I encourage you to take these things and to suck every nectar out of them. Um, I get that analogy from Madame Guyon. Anybody know that name, Madame Guyon? Yeah, she's a monster. Um, she's one of my favorite monsters that has ever lived. How was you guys to get one of her books? It's G-U-Y-O-N, Guyon. And she said that many people read the scriptures like a bee that passes over flowers. And they pass over a whole bunch of them. Then she says, then there's people who will land on a flower and suck out every nectar. And uh, that's the difference between one that has honey and another one who doesn't have honey. I've said it before and I'll say it to the day that I die because Jesus said this to me. Jesus told me that there are people who describe honey and there are people who dispense honey. There are people who describe honey and there are people who can dispense honey. It's a total different world. You can know all the facts there are about honey, but if you've ever if you've never tasted it, you'll never know. You know? The scripture says, taste and see, right? That the Lord is good. He must be tasted. A.W. Tozer said this. The tragedy in the church is that from childhood to old age, men have only known a synthetic God compounded of theology and logic, having no eyes to see, nor ears to hear. We have substituted logic for life. It's what happened in, in most of Christianity today. And that's why you see people who do not have the outflow of an inflow that creates an overflow. Now we know that the essence of the Christian life is inflow, overflow, outflow. So if there's no inflow, there'll be no overflow and there'll be no outflow. But if there's an inflow, then what will happen is there will be an overflow. And that overflow will then become an outflow. David says the great phrase, you've all heard it before, my cup runneth over. In other words, that which is in the inside of me is flowing over onto the outside of me. And this is the precious picture of the oil of the Spirit. Do you guys remember how the scriptures say in 1 John, it says that you have received an anointing, dot, 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 you all know. So where does this knowing come from that he says that they had? He says it comes from an anointing. So what is the anointing? The anointing, if you don't know, means smearing. It's literally the oil being smeared upon by touch. So yeah, we have to understand that God teaches by touch. He says, you all know you've received an anointing. In other words, you've been smeared by God with God's own substance. God has taken of himself and smeared himself upon you, and therefore he's taught you of himself. God teaches by touch. Or you can even look at John, who leans upon the chest of Christ, and Peter asks him for information that he himself does not have access to. He knows there's something about John that Jesus will tell him whatever he asks. So he says, hey, ask him. John asks, and he receives knowledge, specifically about something that Peter did not have access to, which means to me that there is a learning that only comes from leaning. And if you will lay your head upon his chest, then you'll gain access to the divine treasure chest. But if there's no laying or resting 
your head upon his chest, then there's no way for the heartbeat to hit your ears. And if the heartbeat doesn't hit your ears, then there'll be no synchronization with your heart with his. You know, if you lay your head upon the chest of your mom, let's say, if, as a child, what you would have happen to you in, as a matter of time of laying there, your heart would synchronize with hers. In the same way with God, this is what he's longing for and looking for, those who will lay their head on the chest and stay there. And what happens is our hearts begin to synchronize. I don't know about you, but that word synchronize is very special to me because I want that in my life. I want that with my family. I want that with my kids. I want that with my wife. I want to be like that with my friends. I want to live synchronized with God, in sync with God. This is, this is what I want. I mean, Jesus was this way. If a son is anything, he is someone who is the perpetual recipient of God and simultaneously the one synchronized with God by the same means. A son is someone who is a perpetual recipient of God himself. And by that receiving of God, he becomes a synchronized individual with God. And the, the evidence thereof is he begins to look, act, and become like God. Where the characteristics of God begin to effortlessly flow out. That's the radiance of a son. And the perfect evidence of it is, first of all, in our homes. And then out of our homes, you know, our friends, our workplace, the relationships that we have. And then from there, on the streets, preaching the gospel, behind the pulpit. You know, it moves out from there. But it all goes back to something. And I know I'm speaking of things that you guys already know. But I want to encourage you in the same. I want to... I really feel like one of the things God spoke to me about coming to Chicago is that He would give a revelation of the things that you already know. That there would be a fresh unveiling. How many know this about revelation? Revelation is not when somebody says something that's never been said before. That's not revelation. That's what we think it is. We're like, oh, I've never heard that. That's revelation, bro. No, that's, that's not revelation. Just because somebody says something no one's ever said before, that does not mean it's revelation at all. Revelation is the unveiling of the Son. Revelation could be God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. What makes it revelation is the fact that it becomes the testimony of Jesus. In other words, the current speaking of God. Breathed by the Spirit, unveiling the Son. And that can be any phrase, that can be anything at all. It just has to be out of a synchronized place. If a man is synchronized with God, then he's able to unveil Jesus. That's revelation. And what is the purpose of revelation? The purpose of revelation is an impartation of God. God is longing to give himself to us. That's why he loves to speak to us. Because when God speaks, he speaks himself. So what God is longing to do is to impart himself into us by unveiling himself to us. Jesus told us that he would disclose, the Spirit will, would disclose the Son to us. And this word is it's perpetual. 
It's a continuous unveiling of the sun. And though these words seem high and lofty and crazy, like revelation, unveiling, you know, illumination, all these types of things, they sound really like crazy out there and abstract, but they are the most concrete thing that there is. I'm talking about a revelation of Jesus in the kitchen while you're doing the dishes, while you're vacuuming a, a room, while you're talking with a friend. If your heart is laying upon his chest, then you gain access to the divine treasure chest, period. It's yours, you know? So the, the essence of what I wanted to touch on, and I felt from the Lord to, to touch on, is to remind us all that his chest is wide open for any head to lay upon. The invitation of God to rest the head, your head, upon his chest and let his heartbeat hit your eardrum and program your soul into synchronization with him. Now, there was a major thing that I also felt, I told it to Kara earlier, it's this, that I felt like some people in this room tonight would have an internal, uh, almost like a snowball in their own minds about why they can't go be with God. Maybe it's failure. Maybe it's you feel disappointed. Maybe you feel like you've disappointed God. Maybe you feel like things have not happened the way that you think they should. Maybe you haven't acted in the way that you feel like you should. Whatever, it, could, it doesn't even matter what it could be. Maybe it's a consistent failure. Maybe you're just, there's issues right now in your job, in your, whatever it is at all that is causing you to feel like you can't come to him. I feel like the Lord wants to bring that down tonight by saying this phrase to you. Now, Jesus said this to me. I'm going to say it to you. He told me that his presence is not a gift for those that are holy. His presence is a gift by which he makes us holy. I'm going to say it again because that is worth a million dollars to me. His presence is not a gift for those that are holy. What does that mean? It means he's not going to just wait for you to reach a point of perfection or even stability or maturity in which you are now, you know, mature enough and strong enough to be able to have his presence. You know what I'm saying? We have this in us as humans. We have a ladder mentality as humans. I've got to climb to the next place. One day I will get there. You know, this is how we think as humans. But Jesus has rent the veil. He has literally accomplished everything. And those that will enter into him and live in sync with him will be able to enter into those realities. So all that to say, Many of you maybe feel, even at certain times, maybe you're not right there right now, but maybe you will be sooner. Maybe you just were. You failed. You made a mistake. And you feel like, how could I go be with God? Why would you want to? I mean, I, I, it just doesn't even make sense to even go into a closet right now and be with God. I have a chair in my closet, a black leather chair. It's kind of like this, but not as nice as this. This is a lot more comfortable than mine. But it calls to me. Literally, it calls to me. What do you mean it calls to you? I mean that sometimes when there's nothing to do at the house, I've done everything I need to do, I, I just hear my chair saying, come sit with me. <laughs> you know, obviously it's not a chair. <laughs> the chair has become a person and say, sit on me. It, it's, it's what happens in that chair. 
You know what I'm saying? It's the delight of nothingness. Why put two words, these two words together, delight of nothingness? Because that's a, exactly what it's like. Have we forgotten that stillness is the way to know God? Have we forgotten that getting quiet before Him is our strength? Because it's easy to forget this, and it's easy to move past it, and it's easy to have inside of our hearts a case built against ourselves. But let Jesus bring it down even now. I don't care what has happened, and I'm saying this on behalf of the Lord. The Lord is saying, I don't care what has happened. I want you to come and be with me. I don't care how far you've gone. I don't care how, I don't care. He is saying, come in. God doesn't say, get away. He says, come away. He will never look at you and say, get away. He will always look at you and say, come away. As a matter of fact, I said it this morning, I'll say it again. In Hosea, where there's an adulterous people, people in harlotry to God, the first remedy that he gives to them is this. I will draw them to the wilderness, and I will speak kindly to her. Do you know what the wilderness represents? Immediately, people think a dry time where there's no presence of God whatsoever. No, no, no. It's just the opposite, actually. The wilderness is where there's nobody but you and him. The wilderness is your chair in your closet. You have went into the closet and shut the door, just like Jesus taught you to. I think it's important that we always remember God taught us how to pray. God, he who fashioned the soul and calls for it to come to him, has told us the secrets to prayer. What do you mean? Jesus is God. And Jesus said to us, when you pray, go into your closet and shut the door. Now, obviously, when he says closet, he's just saying get away from people. And shut the door means get the noise out. Silence and solitude didn't start with the monks. It started with God teaching men how to pray. But wait a second. My life is extremely, extremely busy. I don't have time to get along with God. Well, let me say this to you. The strength of your abiding place comes from the strength of your secret place. If you will make time to get along with God, you'll find abiding is so much easier. But I only, I mean, shoot, I can only get about 45 minutes. Well, take it. And plunge the depths of his person there. And then when you get into the public, you'll find that the secrets of the abiding place are found in the secret place. You learn how to abide in God by being with Him alone. The same things that you would do alone with Him to enjoy Him and experience Him, you just do them rapidly in public. I remember Michael Cullianos told me one time, who was a, he was a pre professional golfer, he said that when somebody hits a golf ball, it's like, whoop, gone. Just like this. He says, but if you slow it down, there's so many things you can see. I mean, even the twisting of the wrist, the hitting of the ball, the ball actually goes whoop, like this uh, in the slow-mo and he was saying to me that that's a perfect picture of prayer prayer in the secret place is the slow-mo but in the public place it looks like this you know just one clean swipe so hear the Lord when he says this to you that he is calling each one of us fresh myself included to rest our heads upon his chest Yes, alone 
in quiet, but also living there in public. The great thing that we have over John is that John had a physical chest to lay his head on at that time. But that Jesus needed to stand up and walk around. He couldn't do that all the time. But we, we can live with our souls resting our heads upon his chest. You can stay there, live there, and have that learning that only comes from leaning. His presence is not a gift for those that are holy. It is a gift that makes you holy. Let me explain what that even means. How does the presence make you holy? The scripture tells us in Peter writes it down. He says, you're sanctified by the Spirit. Now again, these words, we get lost in them sometimes. Sanctified by the Spirit. We're like, oh, that's a really cool phrase. But man, what that really means is this. It is the presence of God, which is the Holy Spirit. It is the presence of God in your life that makes you different than everybody else. That's what sanctified by the Spirit means. I have His presence in my life that separates my life, even while it's mingled with other people's lives, it's still separate. Because there's a marked presence of God. The distinguishing factor with us is God is with us. Not even that we're perfect. Not even that we're, you know, the most holy of all. No, He is with us. And that He's even with us in failure. And He's even with us in weakness. Because He wants to pull us close and help us into Him in greater and greater levels. I love the whole cup analogy. If you fill the cup up with Coca-Cola and you put it underneath the sink, with clean water flowing into it, all you gotta do is keep it there. And in time, it'll become lighter and lighter, and before you know it, it'll be crystal clear. But it caught, there's only one thing that needs to be done. There needs to be a constant inflow. So our goal is not this. Our goal is not get the dark out of the cup. Our goal is not that. Our goal is keep receiving. That's our goal. So what happens to us when we, sw when we switch the two is this. We get into a performance-based thing. And when I say performance-based, immediately ears stop because we think performance to be something specific. But listen, performance is even trying to make yourself holy. Do you remember what Satan was accused of in the scriptures? He said, I will make myself like the most high. I mean, he said that. We see that the spirit of religion was first right there in the heart of the devil. The pride and arrogance of saying, I will make myself like him. And this is passed on to us in the garden. What the devil did was pass on his thinking patterns to Eve. That's all he did. And when he did that, he got into the blood of Adam. And Adam reproduces after his own kind, and now it's in our blood. You can't even run away from it. That's why we've got to be constantly deprogrammed by listening to his voice. Otherwise, you will switch the two, and what you will do and what I will do is do our best to try to do something different, to try to make ourselves like him, instead of recognizing that our goal is to simply receive the sap, and then the tree will effortlessly bear forth its own fruit. And remember that the fruit that comes out of you is the trees never eat their own fruit. The fruit on the tree is for others to eat. So as you begin to just focus on receiving the sap, then effortlessly fruit will come out and the people around you will be blessed by the fruit of the Spirit in your life. Right? So the presence is not a gift for the holy. But it is a gift that makes us holy. How does it make us holy? There's something about the presence that frees us from the need to have anything else. There's something about the presence of God that frees us 
from the need to have anything else. The need to have something else is the root of sin. Why? Where do you get that from? I'll tell you why. Because all of man's desires are rooted in this self-sufficient lust. This self-satisfying lust and desire. I mean, you go down to whatever it is, any sin that you want to grab, it's all a lust. It's all a desire. The, the desire to have the last word in an argument is a lust. I want to be the last one to say something. I mean, down to sexual lust, those are easy to understand. But pride is a lust. You want to be recognized. Spiritual pride is a lust. You want to be the one with the word of the Lord. You know what I mean? These are all lusts. And from them spring all kinds of things. That's why the presence freeing you from the need to have anything else makes holiness easy. Because now all those lusts are stopped up and cut off from you because you shall not want. I'm satisfied with you. John Piper said it best when he said, sin is what we do when we're not satisfied with God. And that is the essence of why the presence is the source of holiness. Holiness is the fruit of being addicted to the maximum pleasure of life, which is God himself. And so as a man receives the presence on the inside, then that presence satisfies the soul and he becomes free. You become free. So then our goal and our, our purpose and our aim is locked right here, his presence. Because it's the only way to want Him, the only way to love Him, the only way to obey Him. You see, satisfaction is not a perk of His presence. Like, oh yeah, and you'll be satisfied. No, satisfaction is the very means by which He frees us and empowers us to be able to obey Him. Did you know that it is impossible for us to obey God as long as we are bound to our own selfish desires. We need to be severed from them. How? By satisfaction in God. And as a God is satisfying the soul, He's freeing it from the bondage of needing all kinds of other things. And so what happens to us in the sweetness of His presence, being freed from the need to have anything else, we become satisfied and it becomes the means by which He frees us from all these other anchors and attachments and he empowers us through satisfying and blissing out the soul. He empowers us to be able to obey him. So that obedience is when a man's life is yielded to the extent that God can perform through the man the things he spoke to the man. So that the only thing that pleases God is what he does himself can be the reality of our holy, our holy life. And the Christ likeness that comes out of us is not I live, but Christ liveth in me. Christ coming out. You know, Christ is the all-inclusive one. What does that even mean? It means that every lower reality that we know in this life was created by God to point us back to the higher reality, which is Christ himself. What does that even mean, Eric? It means this. Right now, we're inside of a house. God has set up this whole scenario as far as people living in houses. Because there was something greater he was trying to point to from the very beginning. He wanted Christ to be our house. There's a foundation here that is here that we're standing on, that we're sitting on. 
And it is pointing to the fact that Christ is the only solid foundation. The foundations that we know, gravity itself was created after God's desire to let us know Christ must be our foundation. Jesus is the essence of everything that God has created. Light itself, the means by which I see you right now and you see me, it is pointing to a higher reality that Christ is light. The way you drive down a road to get somewhere, it is pointing to a higher reality that Jesus is the way. The fact that you need food every day is pointing to the fact that Jesus must be bread for us and nourishment for our soul. You're going to get tired later on. Maybe you're tired now. It is pointing to the fact that Jesus must be your rest. It doesn't matter what you point at in life. It was all created to point to the highest reality, which is Christ is all. And he is the greatest need and greatest satisfaction simultaneously. The last thing I want to touch on is this, and I felt it while we were worshiping. It's John 14, 6, and I know everybody here probably has it memorized. But it says this, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, the life. I want to touch on what exactly he's even saying when he says this. Jesus says, I am the way. Because he knew you and he knew me. He knew that we would try to find a way for him. So he sewed himself together with the way. He knew us. And he knew that we would keep his name and keep his language and forget it. See, the danger with the intimacy movement is that many have only adopted the language. They've learned new cool words and they say them. But there's no living reality of themselves. Do you know what I'm talking about? Jesus said, I am the way because he knew us. He also said he was the truth. This cryptic phrase, a person as truth, doesn't make a whole lot of natural sense. But he did it on purpose so that we would think about what he's saying and recognize that he has forever sewed himself together with the truth. Why? Because he knew us. He knew you and he knew me. And he knew that we would cling to truths and forget about him who is the truth. He will not share the throne of your heart with a principle or even with a theology. He wants to sit there himself as the living Christ, the living voice, the one who is experientially known. This is what he's after, above all things. The scriptures were meant to point us to the living Christ. They were meant to be the straw through which we receive the honey of heaven. The scriptures are the straw through which the word of God can come through. The living word of God. On the horse in Revelation, the one who was with God before, words were even created. The word of God himself. Jesus also said lastly, he said, I am the life. Why? Because he knew this. He knew that everything, no matter how religious or spiritual, is simply dead without his presence. It doesn't matter how spiritual it sounds or how spiritual it is. Without his person, it's absolutely lifeless. It doesn't matter how religious it is, as we all know. It doesn't matter how great it fits in the box of the Bible. If it's not connected with his living person, it has no life. It cannot make a man live unless there is the living Christ connected to it. And I know you guys know these things, and many of you are walking these things out in your life. So that's why I say, I want to remind you of what you already know. And pray that God would breathe fresh even right now upon the things you already know, so that you would have a revelation of the things you already know. So that there'd be a greater ease in your daily life to simply come away without hindrance, 
and without obstacle to simply walk straight into him. Whether you feel worthy or not, he's not with you because you're worthy. He's with you because he's worthy. This is just how he is. He loves to hold a sinner. Are you hearing what I'm saying? And when we can recognize without him, I'm finished. In the degree that we recognize our helplessness, to that degree we will look to Jesus. But as far as we build up our own resume of service, and we build up our own, this is what I am, and I'm good enough to come. It's, if you go to him like that, you're not going to find him. The problem is, is this, we've come to God for everything but God. We try to get God to look at this and look at that instead of just looking at God. And I'm telling you this right now, every one of my sins, personally, and I'm telling you honestly before you as a human being, every one of my sins was first a failure to let Christ be my life. Every one of my sins was first the failure. Every failure was first a failure of letting Christ be my life. Are you hearing what I'm saying? That is a gold mine. To submit to the animation that comes from God is the essence of a holy life. And to reject the reception of that life is the very beginning of disobedience to God. We as sons are the perpetual recipients of God. If we are anything, we are those who stay under the faucet continually receiving so that He, through time, can cause all the other stuff just to flow out so that there's only clean water on the inside. Does that make sense to you? If you know a man who fell into deception, I'll tell you where he first fell into the deception. He fell into the deception the moment that he failed to recognize that Jesus Christ is the truth. He separated himself, or separated truths and the truth. I know many people like this. There was a guy I was going to plant a church with. He was a man of God, fasted 40 days and sought heaven and saw lots of miracles, all kinds of stuff. Today, he's a Muslim. It was 10 years ago we were going to plant this church together. But little by little, this came in theology, thinking, theology, and all this stuff started happening. And he got involved with these people and debating and all this stuff. And then before you know it, he didn't even know if he believed in God anymore. And then he got swooped up by some other guys, and now he's literally a Muslim. And he doesn't even want to talk to me. Why? Because he knows that I still am holding on to Jesus. I'm clinging to him. And what am I saying that for? Why? I mean, listen, I've been in groups like this many times. So have you. And I know that many of you right here, right now, can say or know of a person who is sitting in a group like this that probably doesn't follow the Lord today. Am I right? Yeah. I actually have sat in Bible college in Brownsville where there's an outpouring of the Spirit. And some of those people don't even obey God today. We saw glory, did we not? We saw the glory of God. And those some of those people there don't follow the Lord today. Why? Because we need to live by daily bread. See, yesterday's encounter is wonderful and an inspiration. But it will not suffice for touching him today. I need God today. Otherwise, what will happen is a little by little, my heart will grow hard. And the seed of the word will begin to bounce off of my heart. And the seed of the word, if it bounces off my heart, it will never 
get into my heart. And the only way for obedience to come out of me is for me to receive first the word of God. Because obedience is the growing of a, of a maintained, sustained word of God. Seed of the word. When the seed of the word comes to you and you receive it inside of your heart and you hold on to it, you foster it and you protect it, you keep it and you water with his presence, it will begin to grow itself into obedience. This is the beauty of the fact that God does all things by and for himself. He's the one that causes all these things to effortlessly happen. But it has to come back to the very beginning what we're talking about. It has to be that we have chosen to rest our heads upon his chest. That learning that only comes from leaning. That literal beating of his heartbeat into our ears. You know what I'm talking about. So be encouraged. Also be pulled. I pray even now that you would feel a pull to be with him like never before. Literally that interest in other things will begin to wither away. And you'll feel the delightful, blissful, not lawful pressure pull, but the delightful and blissful pull to go enjoy the romance of the king. To go away and receive kisses from God. To go away from men and let the rays of the sun touch your face. This is what I'm talking about. The problem is that the devil always tries to switch it. And he says these have to's. And you have to push this and you've got to make this. Da, da, da. It's so much better to let go of all that have to and recognize this. The law of Moses, which is pressure and, and demand and command. That law of Moses doesn't give life, but the words of Jesus are life. And within the words of Jesus is everything needed to be able to obey them. So all our goal is, is to simply listen and receive the pull that comes from God back into him. He literally is like, uh, he's like a siphon. He pulls you into himself. As, as Witness Lee would say, God is a gigantic magnet pulling the soul to himself. Madame Guyon said this, she said, if I take a rock and I drop it, it will hit the ground. And the only way that it would not hit the ground is if there's an obstruction between the rock and the ground. Right? And in the same way, because you've received the Spirit, and because He is the desire of the nations, and because the shining of His face is more blissfully joyful than anything else that could ever happen to us in this life simultaneously, because He's that, your soul is pulled towards Him. The only thing that's going to stop you from hitting him is an obstruction. Letting other things in. This would be the last thing I say, uh, I promise. But I really feel in my heart that what the Lord is wanting to help us with, even now, is the clearing of our mind. Does that sound new age to you? No, that's David. <laughs> he says, I set my heart upon you. David says, my soul waits in silence for God alone. He says, I meditate upon thee in the night watches. David is the one who we get a lot of this language from, from which he says, I look, I lift my eyes to the hills. From which, What is he even saying when he says that? Well, first of all, if you're going to lift your eyes to the hills, you're detaching them from the world. The first thing that has to happen to be able to look at God, you've got to detach from everything else. And if we will detach 
from, from everything else to look directly at him, then that's when we can actually say that we are, we are concentrated enough to actually begin to worship the Lord. Why is worship so important? It's because adoration opens up the receptivity of the soul. Adoration literally opens up and pulls God in. If you want to pull the word of the Lord to you, spend some time in sweet, waiting, blissful adoration. The word of the Lord is attracted to that. That's how we pull the word of the Lord into ourselves. By simply adoring, worshiping, and staying there just for Him. There's a phrase that I say almost every day of my life. I'll get in my chair, and I'll sit there just like this, with a cup of coffee in my hand, and I'll say just like this, I'll say, Jesus, I'm not here to ask you for anything. I'm not here to pray for anybody. I'm not here to read, or to study, or just to think. I'm not here to gain brownie points or try to increase in some kind of power or gift. I'm here for one reason. I want to adore you and worship you. I recognize I have nothing to give you but a sinful, broken, wicked heart. And if you'll accept me, take me into your son. Simple as can be, bankrupt as can be, and I promise you, every time it's pulled to me by such a bankrupt heart. You want to pull God towards you? Recognize your bankruptcy. When you come to God, you must leave everything behind. Your positive, your negative, and your positive. What does that even mean? It means this. When you come to God, all your failures have got to be behind you. If you keep bringing them up before Him, oh, I did this, I did this, I did this. If you keep doing that, you're not going to be able to see Him because all you're seeing is yourself. You're still self-conscious. You can't come to Him and say, look at what I've done. I saw seven people healed this afternoon, and that's why I can do it. He's not going to, he's not going to, he's not messing with that. We come to Him like this. I have nothing, and I am deeply in need of you. And I promise you, it will work every day of your life. People ask me, do you experience God's presence every day? You better believe it. Why? Because without His presence, it's not communion. I said without His presence, it's not communion. Exchange. It's the only thing that I live by, is exchange. When I first got stayed, the first time I started touching bliss, I didn't do anything else but stay in my room. It was the first time I touched what I now live by. I was just touching it then, and I, it literally deflated everything else in my life. And I say this to you right now, that the more we experience Him, the more we come to know Him. And the more we come to know Him, the more we effortlessly begin to be like Him. They that look to Him, right, are radiant. We take on His own radiance by staring upon His radiance. Does that make sense? I know I, I went on a longer, longer than I thought I would, but let me just pray, if you don't mind. I'm going to pray something for you, and I, I believe that what I'm saying is going to come to pass. When we do the schools of His presence, we lay hands on people, and we pray the same type of thing for them. And the testimonies that we get back from people's everyday life is wonderful. See, we're not after the immediate as much as we're after the enduring. That's why the things I'm saying to you right now, are for tomorrow morning. They're for a lifestyle of coming to Him. So I believe what I say right now, what I pray for you right now, is going to come to pass. So I'm asking you to combine your faith with mine and recognize that things will be different from this day on. Why? Is it because 
uh, of me? Absolutely not. It's because the name of Jesus works absolute wonders. It accesses God. And whatever we ask in his name, he's promised to give to us. So in that, in that holy name, Lord, I ask right now, in the name of Jesus, I'm asking you that divine ease will enter into every life right now. So simple and so easy to touch you, to blissfully experience you. I'm asking even right now that you would fill your people fresh, remove every roadblock, hurdle, every bit of entanglement. Lord, I pray it all just falls off by the heat of your presence. It just melts away. Ease. Just receive ease right now. Easy. So simple. The veil is rent. He is yours. Bankrupt dependency. I need you, God. I pray that even tomorrow morning, those that are able to pray in the morning, pray the moment they close their eyes and say, I am a beggar at your footstool. I need you today. That they'll instantaneously sense the sweetness of your presence. And that there would come in every person within the sound of my voice right now, a cherishing of the slightest impressions of the Spirit. That we would cherish it even in the in 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 the grocery store as we're pushing a cart, we sense the sweetness of your presence and we just freeze and look like a freak in the middle of an aisle with our eyes closed saying, I give glory to you, Lamb of God. I pray that our spouses will walk in while we're doing the dishes and they'll see us stuck with the water running. I worship you. I give you glory and honor. I pray we'll have to pull over to the side of the road because we can't see through our tears. Because you have seized our hearts and said, I love you and I long for you. And may our hearts say the same back. I worship you and adore you. In your precious name. In Jesus' name. Right now, just receive it right now. Glory and honor. Glory and honor to Blessing. Honor. Glory. Power. Dominion. Yes. So thank you. So
things, two more things. One, Eric has four books here, which I've not read yet, but did you want to talk to them, talk about them real briefly? Okay, is everything I was saying tonight is that every one of these books So, are there, how much are the books? They're, yeah, they're suggested donation. If you don't have the money, take it. But we, we suggest 10 bucks, we can cover the cost, but if you don't have the money, just take it. Right. Kind of, second note, which is 
they sort of related. Eric has been here all week, and Friday, they didn't even get Thursday. Did the encounter retreat Friday and Saturday, spoke this morning, came and joined us this evening. It's a whole lot of speaking. So what I'd love to do is to um, take up an offering to give to Eric to just thank him for being here with us this evening. He's not, it's not why he came. He didn't come expecting to receive that, but I figured we could bless him as he goes on his way as well. And um, you want to grab a book that you get to, something like that, but just, just want to bless Eric. If you have something, you can give it to me, I'll give it to Eric. But um, that's it. thank you for being with us. We appreciate you.